Act One of the Cabinet Minister by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Persons of the Play The Right Honorable Sir Julian Twombley, GCMG, MP, Secretary of State for the Blank Department. Read by Todd. Lady Twombley, read by Sonia. Brooke Twombley, their son, read by Thomas Peter. Imogen, their daughter, read by Lian Yao. Dowager Countess of Drumdurus, read by T. J. Burns. Lady Euphemia Vibart, her daughter, read by Devora Allen. Earl of Drumdurus. Read by Scott Kelly. Egidia, Countess of Drumdurus. Read by J. L. Baldwin. Lady Macphail. Read by Beth Thomas. Sir Colin Macphail of Ballochieven. Her son. Read by Chuck Williamson. Valentine White. Lady Twombley's nephew. Read by Kurt from Tucson, Arizona the honourable mrs gaylaster a young widow trading as morisset and company seventeen a plunkett street mayfair read by linda olson vitak los angeles mr joseph lebanon read by son of the exiles mr melton sir julian's private secretary read by craig franklin the Munkittrick, read by Alan Mapstone. Miss Munkittrick, read by Eva Davis. Proven, a servant, read by Philip Gould. Angèle, a French nurse, read by Sandra Schmidt. Stage directions, read by Larry Wilson. The Cabinet Minister, the First Act, Debt. The scene is a conservatory built and decorated in Moorish style in the house of the Right Honorable Sir Julian Twombley, M.P., Chesterfield Gardens, London. A fountain is playing, and tall palms lend their simple elegance to the elaborate Algerian magnificence of the place. The drawing rooms are just beyond the curtained entrances. It is a May afternoon. Brooke Twombley, a good-looking but insipid young man of about two and twenty, faultlessly dressed for the afternoon, enters and sits dejectedly, turning over some papers. I've done it. Such an afternoon's work, what? Reading. Schedule of the debts of Mr. Brooke Twombley. Turning over sheet after sheet. Tradesman. Betting transactions. Baccarat, miscellaneous amusements, sundries, extras. Robin, a servant in powder and livery, is crossing the conservatory when he sees Brooke. Oh, Mr. Brooke. Brooke Twombley slipping the schedule into his pocket. Eh? I didn't know you were in, sir. Her ladyship told me to give you this, Mr. Brooke. Quietly. He hands Brooke a letter which he has taken from his pocket. Brooke Twombley, glancing at the envelope. 
The mater. Thank you. A little cough is heard. He looks toward the drawing room. Is anyone there? Mrs. Gayluster, sir. The dressmaker? What does she want? She told Phipps, Miss Imogene's maid, sir, that she was anxious to see the effect of her ladyship's and Miss Imogene's gowns when they get back from the drawing-room. You should take her upstairs. Beg your pardon, Mr. Brooke, but we've always understood that when Mrs. Gayluster calls in the morning, she's a dressmaker, and when she calls in the afternoon, she's a lady. Oh, very well. It's awfully confusing. Robin goes out. Brooke reads the letter. My sweet child, for heaven's sake, let me have your schedule, or whatever you call your list of debts, directly. I'll do my best to get you out of your scrape, though how I can't think. I'm desperately short of money, and altogether, as my poor dear father used to say, things are as blue as old Stilton. If your pa finds out what a muddle I'm in— I fear he'll throw up public life and bury us in the country, and then good-bye to my dear boys and girls' prospects. So if I contrive to clear you once more, don't do it again, my poppet, or you'll break the heart of your loving mother, Kitty Twombley. The mater's a brick, what? But I wonder if she has any notion how much it tots up to. He places the letter upon the back of a large saddlebag armchair while he takes out the schedule. Three thousand seven hundred and fifty-six, not two. What? Robin enters. A young man wants to see you, Mr. Brooke. Who is it? No card, sir, and rather queerly dressed. Says he has a wish to shake hands with you on the doorstep. Oh, I say. He mustn't, you know. What? I don't quite like the look of him, sir. Gives the name of White. Mr. Valentine White. Why, that's my cousin. Cousin, sir. I beg pardon. Where is he? Brooke goes out quickly, followed by Proven. The Honorable Mrs. Gayluster, an attractive, self-possessed, mischievous-looking woman of not more than thirty, very fashionably dressed, enters from the drawing-room. How very charming! Lady Twombley's latest fad, the Algerian Conservatory. And there was a time when a sprig of geranium on the window-sill would have contented her. Looking at the photograph of Lady Twombley upon the table. There she is, Kitty Twombley. In one of my gowns, too. Kitty Twombley, once Kitty White the daughter of a poor farmer down in Cleverton. Ah, when young Mr. Julian Twombley came canvassing Farmer White's vote, he found you innocently scrubbing the bricks, I suppose. And now... With a curtsy. Lady Twombley, wife of a cabinet minister and patroness extraordinary of that deserving young widow, Fanny Gayluster. She sits, surveying the portraits upon the table. Ha-ha! <laughs> I'll turn you all to account some fine day. Why shouldn't I finish as well as the dairy-fed daughter of a Devonshire yokel? What on earth is wrong with my bonnet? 
she puts her hand up behind her head and finds lady twombley's letter which brooke had left on the back of the chair lady twombley's writing reading my sweet child for heaven's sake let me have your schedule she sits up suddenly and devours the contents of the letter oh reading aloud i'm desperately short of money things are as blue as old stilton if your pa finds out my word brooke twombley heard speaking outside my dear valentine why shouldn't you come in what mrs gayluster creeps round in front of the table and disappears with the letter in her hand as brooke enters dragging in valentine white a roughly dressed handsome young fellow of about six-and-twenty bronzed and bearded now brooke you know i cut away from england years ago because i couldn't endure ceremony of any kind i'm not treating you with ceremony what valentine white looking about him phew the atmosphere is charged with it that fellow with his hair powdered nearly sent me running down the street like a mad dog where the deuce have you been for the last six or eight years where oh by a geography call it explorations of valentine white in search of freedom and there you have it freedom blessed freedom from forms shams and ceremonies of all sorts and descriptions why you left us for south africa didn't south africa satisfy you satisfy me i joined the expedition to Bangwaketsi. what were the consequences fever worse there's no ceremony about fever no brook i was snubbed by a major in the kalahari desert because i didn't dress for dinner then we heard of you herding filthy cattle in mexico yes at durango i enjoyed that till some younger sons of the nobility came out and left cards at my hut i afterwards drove a railway engine in bolivia by joe how awful what wasn't that sufficiently beastly rough my dear fellow would you believe it i got hold of a stoker who was a decayed british baronet the affected way in which that man shoveled on coals was unendurable so i've come back hopelessly wise serve you right for kicking at refinement and good form and all that sort of thing what valentine white mimicking brooke varnish and veneer and all that sort of thing what <laughs> confound you well you'll dine here at a quarter to eight val won't you dine in chesterfield gardens thirteen courses and eight wines heaven forgive you brooke look here you shall eat on the floor with a wooden spoon thank you even your floors are too highly polished tell aunt kitty and little imogen that i shall walk in kensington gardens to-morrow morning at ten little imogen <laughs> well i think it will pretty considerably wound your susceptibilities to hear that my sister imogen is being presented by the mater this afternoon presented presented at court drawing-room you know how dare they poor little child <laughs> if you wait a few minutes you'll see an imposing display of trains and feathers some of them are coming on here after the ceremony to drink tea i believe trains and feathers 
Good gracious, Brooke, Imogen must have grown up. Here's a portrait, what? Valentine White staring at the portrait. I am right, Brooke, she has grown up. Ha! Oh. Eight years ago she was a romp, with a frock that always had a tear in it and a head like a cornfield in the wind. Just look at this. While I've been away, they've given her a new frock and brushed her hair. What an awful change. Robin appears at the conservatory entrance. Lady Euphemia Vibart. Lady Euphemia Vibart, a handsome, distinguished-looking, and elegantly dressed girl of about twenty, enters. She scarcely notices Valentine, who bows formally. No one has returned yet, Brooke. Effie, don't you recollect Mr. White? Oh, how do you do? She shakes hands with him in an affected manner. We are distantly related, I remember. Lady Euphemia, I join you in remembering the relationship. And the distance. Oh, I don't mean that, Mr. White. At any rate, we were excellent friends many years ago when our cousin Imogen used to give us tea in her schoolroom. She will be too rejoiced at your return. Brooke Twombly at the window. Hello, I think Pa has come home. Goodbye, Lady Euphemia. I say, Effie, Mr. White won't stay. Lady Euphemia Vibart, indifferently. What a pity. He has turned against civilization, you know, and has become a sort of pleasant cannibal. A cannibal? That is too interesting. Pray remain, Mr. White. My brother, Lord Drumdurus, is on duty at the palace today and is coming on here. We all knew each other as children. He will be too delighted. I recollect Lord Vibart, as then he was, very well. He once burnt me with a red-hot poker. Good-humouredly, I'm sure. Perhaps you have not heard that he married Lady Agidia Cardillo, Lord Strudwick's second daughter, about two years ago. If you stay, you will meet her also. I am afraid I... I... You will find her too enchanting. No, he won't. She is not tattooed or anything. They have a little son, just five months old, who is too divine. Ah, now, if you boiled the baby, it might be to Val's taste. As they have been constantly travelling, Egidia is only just presented today by my mother. You recollect Lady Drumduris, my mother? Perfectly. Book Twombly poking Valentine in the side. Old Lady Drum. My mother will be too charmed to meet you again. Robin enters. Robin to Brooke. Sir Julian is coming into the conservatory, sir. Pa! Robin goes out. Oh, dear Sir Julian. She runs out. Look sharp, Brooke. Let me out. Val, I'll tell you what. Come upstairs and smoke a cigarette in my room, and I'll bring the mater and Imogen to you on the quiet when the people are gone. Why, Brooke? Do you think that Aunt Kitty and Imogen want a roving relative on the premises who isn't worth tuppence? Bosh! Look out, here's Pa. He seems awfully mumpish. Come on. He takes Valentine out. Directly they are gone, Lady Euphemia re-enters with Sir Julian Twombley, an aristocratic but rather weak-looking man of about fifty-five, wearing his ministerial uniform. Are you pleased to get back, Uncle? Yes. She places him in the armchair. He sinks into it with a sigh. How is your neuralgia? Intense. It has been so ever since. 
Lady Euphemia Vibart, putting her smelling bottle to his nose. Ever since... Ever since I took office. Thank you. Was it a very brilliant drawing-room? I think it must have been. I have been more than usually trodden upon. Did you catch a glimpse of Aunt Kitty or any of our people? I heard Lady Twombley. What inexhaustible spirit she has. Euphemia, my dear, I confide in you. But for Lady Twombley I could never endure the badgering, the browbeating, the hackling for which I seem especially selected. It's too unjust. Oh, I know I am going to have a bad time in the house tonight. Don't dwell upon it, Uncle. Euphemia. He jumps up almost fiercely. Uncle Julian. Certain members of the opposition are going too far. They regard me as a bull in the arena. They goad me, they pierce me with questions. And then, the lack of journalistic sympathy. Look here. He stealthily produces a newspaper from his pocket. Lady Euphemia Vibart reproachfully. Uncle Julian, you've bought a newspaper. You promised Aunt you never would. Hmm. I would have you know, Euphemia, that I have not absolutely broken my pledge to Lady Twombley. I made Harris the coachman purchase this. As you drive home, drop it out of your carriage window. As Lady Euphemia takes the paper from him, her eyes fall upon a paragraph. Oh! Do they mean you, Uncle? Without doubt. Lady Euphemia Vibart reading. The square peg. Hush, the servant. Lady Euphemia crams the paper into her pocket. Robin enters, carrying a small music easel, with some music on it and a flute in a case. Here, Sir Julian. Oh, do play, Uncle. Sir Julian Twombley to Robin. Thank you. It will soothe you. Sir Julian Twombley taking the flute from Robin. My only vice, Euphemia. Robin goes out. Sir Julian sounds a mournful note. This little friend has inspired some of my most conspicuous oratory triumphs. It has furnished me with many a cutting rejoinder for question time. He sounds another note. Ah, uh, I know I am going to have such a bad night in the house. He plays. Mrs. Gayluster enters with Brooke. Lady Euphemia Vibart to herself. That woman. Mrs. Gayluster to Lady Euphemia. How do you do? Lady Euphemia stares, inclines her head slightly, and goes to Brooke. Mrs. Gayluster to herself. Haughty wretch. Mrs. Gayluster. Oh, Sir Julian, don't. Don't stop. I thought I was alone with Lady Euphemia. I am waiting to see dear Lady Twombley. Oh, do permit me to hear that sweet instrument. Pray, sit down. Sir Julian resumes his seat and plays a plaintive melody. Mrs. Gayluster listens in a rapt attitude. Lady Euphemia Vibart to Brooke. That person is too odious to me. Several people have taken her up. Somehow being taken up is what she suggests. She seems a sort of society mermaid, half a lady and half a milliner. What? Only it bothers you to know whether one leaves off and the other begins. Who is she? 
In prehistoric days she was Miss Lebanon. Lord Bulpit's son, Percy Gayluster, met her at Nice, or somewhere. Oh, yes, and he married her, or something. Yes, and now she's a widow, or something. Why does the mater encourage her? Because Aunt Kate is too good-hearted and impressionable. But as a rule, I think Mrs. Gayluster makes a considerable reduction to those who ask her to their parties. Mrs. Gayluster's bending over Sir Julian and turning his music. Look. Robin appears at the entrance. Here's Sir Julian, my lady. Hello, Mater. Lady Twombley, a handsome, bright, good-humoured woman, dressed magnificently in court dress, enters. Robin retires, and Sir Julian stops playing. Lady Twombley kissing Brooke. Well, Brooke, darling, have you wanted your mother? Kissing Lady Euphemia. Effie, how sweet you look. What a dream of a bonnet. Nods to Mrs. Gayluster. How do you do, Mrs. Gayluster? Why, Pa? She bends over him and kisses him. You're worried. You've been playing your whistle. Flute, Catherine. I mean flute. It was my brother Bob who always played a whistle when the crops were poor or the lambs fell sickly. I had not the advantage of your brother Robert's acquaintance. Where's Imogen? Imogen? Imogen outside. Mamma! Come and show yourself to Pa. Imogen enters in her court dress, a pretty girl of about eighteen. Effie, dear! Well, Brooke! Lady Twombley to Sir Julian. Look at her. Quite charming. Well, Papa, have you nothing to say to me? My dear, I hesitate to address such a magnificent creature. Imogen bowing to Sir Julian. Mamma, I think that gentleman wishes to be presented to me. I have no objection, if you consider him a person I ought to know. Lady Twombley kissing Imogen. Oh, Julian! Our sweet child. Sir Julian Twombley taking Imogen's hand. My dear. Imogen with dignity. I am pleased to make your acquaintance. I've heard you mentioned very kindly by my little friend, Imogen Twombley. Pray sit down, and I'll sit on your lap. Imogen sits on Sir Julian's knee and puts her arm round his neck. Oh, Papa, I have been so nervous. I quite sympathize. I was shockingly nervous when I was presented. Imogen, rising hastily. Mrs. Gayloster, I didn't see you. Lady Twombley to Brooke and Lady Euphemia. Dear old Lady Leake, whose wheels we locked in the park, said she had heard Imogen's name mentioned fifty times. Mrs. Charlie Lessingham declares nothing prettier has been seen since her own first season. And it's true. That's the best of it. I saw the child make her curtsy. I was determined I would. I entered the throne room just before her and tumbled through anyhow, with one eye straight in front of me and the other screwed round towards my girl. There was a general shudder. It was at my squint. I trust not, Catherine. When I did get through, they gave me my train as much as to say, if this belongs to you, take it home as soon as possible but there i stuck in the doorway not budging an inch i didn't care how the officials whispered and waved and beckoned i stood my ground and then julian 
then my breath nearly went from me for i saw her coming effie it was lovely brooke you would have been proud of your sister her cheeks were like the outside leaf of a duchesse de valombrosa rose and her eyes like two dewdrops on the top of it and she had just enough fright in her little heart to make her feathers tremble then she curtsied oh if she had stumbled i should have been by her side in an instant who would have blamed me i'm her mother but she didn't no she floated towards me dipping and dipping and dipping again and again as smoothly and gracefully as a swan swimming backward lady twombley embraces imogen i am too glad aunt kitty awfully satisfactory what i remember lady liphook's daughter miriam falling and rolling over in the season of eighty-five lor how sorry i feel for anybody who isn't a mother but i say there's a bit that wants taking in there pinching up the shoulder of imogen's dress gay luster you must tell your woman antoinette this won't do oh lady twombley please mrs gay luster puts her handkerchief to her eyes my dear pray forgive me i really forgot where we were mrs gay luster to lady twombley with a little sob <laughs> you wouldn't hurt my feelings wilfully i know not for the world but it's a little confusing mixing up business with pleasure imogen let lady effie and mrs gayluster hear you play your lovely harp but don't let the nasty thing hurt your fingers brooke i want to speak to you lady euphemia and imogen stroll out followed by mrs gayluster sir julian twombley mournfully i'll dress now catherine and go down lord pa don't speak as if you were thinking of our tomb at kensal green competent authorities assure me there is quiet to be found in the tomb i anticipate nothing of that kind where i am going to-night he goes out lady twombley watches his going then turns to brooke sharply well have you got it my uh your schedule brooke hands his schedule to lady twombley there's a dear boy she turns over the leaves gradually her face assumes a look of horror <gasps> total three thousand she folds the schedule puts it in her pocket and faces brooke fiercely with her hands clenched you imp she boxes his right ear soundly mater you villain she boxes his left ear don't mater three thousand pounds three thousand times i wish you had never been born i i <laughs> she breaks down puts her arms round brooke's neck and cries oh brooke my dear forgive your poor mother's vile temper i've made my brooke's head ache oh my gracious don't fret mater if you run rather low at scots scots brooke when i creep into that bank now and ask for my pass-book i have to hold on to the edge of the counter i feel so sick and giddy oh very well then mater i can wait 
Mr. Nazareth of Burlington Street will accommodate me for a time. A couple of bills, you know, at three and six months, but... Brookie, Brookie, I've thought of those dreadful things for myself. For yourself, Mater? Why, you can always get the right side of pa. Brook, Brookie, I must tell you, just now poor pa has no right side. Mater. It's as much as the dear man can do to get a rattle out of his keys. For a long time, Brook, we've all been outrunning the constable. Really, Mater, I ought to have been consulted before. I know, Brook, but I couldn't face my boy's reproaches. Pa must have been inexcusably reckless, what? No, it's all my fault, every bit of it. A pretty melody on the harp is heard. Brooke, never marry a country-bred girl as your pa did. When he fell in love with me, I was content with three frocks a year. Think of that, and had to twist up my own hats. And I could have done it forever down at Cleverton. But I didn't stand the transplanting. Oh, I'll never forget how the fine folks snubbed me and sneered at me when I came to town. Brooke, my son, I declare to goodness that for ten long years I never saw a nose that wasn't turned up. And then Pa got his baronetcy, and old lady Drumduris gave us her forefinger to shake, and that did it. But it was too late. I was spoiled by that time. I had been too long fishing for friends with dances and dinners and drags and race parties and all sorts of bait. And when the time came for a few people to like me for my own stupid rough self, I'd got into the way of scattering sovereigns as freely as I used to sprinkle mignonette seed in my little garden at the Yale farm. Oh, this is very painful, Major. What? What a silly woman I've been, Brooke. We're all thoughtless at times. If I had but pulled in when Pa's Irish rents began to dwindle. Why didn't you, Mater? I don't know, but I didn't. I only prayed for better times and ordered Gillow to refurnish the dining room. Last season I got through eighteen thousand pounds. Oh. She twists him round, pointing to the walls of the conservatory. And look, look at this sixpenny Algerian grotto I've stuck in the middle of the house. Seven thousand four hundred and fifty this cost, not counting the hot water pipes. Is it paid for? Your dear pa transferred the money for it to my account at Scott's, but I've gone and spent it on other things. Mater! Oh, my poor heart. Well, Mater, any assistance I can render you in this emergency? Ah, oh, I know. Seizing his hand and kissing it. My brook, my comfort. Robin, outside. Lady Drumduris, Dowager Lady Drumduris. Egidian Aunt Dora. Lady Twombley, wiping her eyes. Your aunt mustn't see me upset. Brooke, don't think anything more of what I've told you. I've tumbled into the mud before now, but mud dries to dust, and I've always managed to shake it off. Dora! 
the dowager countess of drumdurus enters a portly rather formidable-looking lady of forty-five or fifty in court dress and diamonds well dora are you tired i hope i am never fatigued in doing my duty to my family kate here is poor agidia agidia countess of drumdurus enters a small serious girl with a great deal of presence and dignity also in court dress how do you do lady twombley why poor egidia aren't you well dear egidia received a telegram from scotland this morning her son has cut his first tooth during her absence painfully oh dear you are also a mother lady twombley you can sympathize with such cares as those i am now endeavoring to sustain lady euphemia and imogen stroll in your boy is five months old isn't he fergus is precisely five months <laughs> well there are two and twenty more teeth to come yet you know yes i am schooling myself into that conviction i am naturally i hope a woman of more than ordinary courage robin appears at the entrance lord drumdurus the Earl of Drumdurus, a boyish-looking officer of the guards in uniform, with much dignity and reserve, enters. How do you do, Lady Twombley? Egidia. Keith, you have further news from Scotland? Another telegram. Ah! She puts her hand calmly in that of the dowager. Tell us, my son. Another tooth. Egidia closes her eyes. The dowager kisses her upon the brow. I offered Lady Macphail and Sir Colin the use of my borem, but they preferred coming in on their chariot. Lady Macphail and Sir Colin, coming here? Dowager to Lady Twombley. I haven't told you what I've done. Keith? Earl of Drumdurus bowing. Certainly. He joins the others who are talking together dowager to lady twombley i have a motive my whole life has been one vast comprehensive motive lady macphail is the little woman to whom i introduced you on the stairs at the palace well but i encountered her again and delivered a message from you begging her to come on here with sir colin to drink tea i never i know you didn't my motive is this she has just brought her boy to london is he the great man in the kilt i saw holding on to her leopards yes he's thirty if he's an hour he's more but he is a fine example of the grand simplicity that exists in many scottish families proprietor of eighty thousand acres head of a great clan colin macphail of bellochiven remains a child attached to his mother oh i shall be very happy to ah you grasp my motive no i don't dowager in lady twombley's ear imogen 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 must make a march this season and marry before the year is out why don't deceive yourself kate twombley 
you are aware that julian's position in the ministry is precarious you think so everybody thinks so it's my opinion they'll make a joan of him and cast him from them before many months are over you know what that means horrible julian giving up public life and settling down in some dismal swamp as a country gentleman he has threatened it very well then you must assure your children's future before the blow falls what could you do for emergent in the country a vicar or a small squire more likely a curate or a farmer will you resign yourself to that never dora i never will i've had to swallow the husks of london and my chicks shall have the barley julian shall hold on till they have made brilliant marriages ah uh. he shall afterwards i'll go back to darning stockings with a light heart well spoken kate twombley robin appears at the entrance sir colin and lady macphail dowager to lady twombley you see my motive yes dora lady macphail and sir colin enter she is a simple old woman in court dress ecstatically sentimental he a formidable-looking bearded man about six feet high in full highland costume bashful and awkward in manner and keeping close to his mother lady twombley to lady macphail i am delighted to see you here lady macphail presenting macphail my boy he shelters himself behind her and bows uneasily i have determined to give the lad a season in this mighty city lady twombley ah uh, he'll enjoy himself i'm sure nay the macphails never enjoy themselves in the south i'm very sorry perhaps they don't go the right way about it already cullen's feet ache do they ache to press the heather again searching for a sight of the red deer in the misty chasms of ben mukti or the wild birds fluttering on the grey shore of loch nadoch ah very pretty country i dare say where would you be cullen at this hour of castle balakeven watching the sun sink behind the black peak of ben navrachi speak lad macphail sadly that is so mother do you do that every evening at home i ah a macphail always feels like a seagull with a broken wing in the south you must take care you don't get him run over proben appearing at the entrance tea is in the yellow room my lady drumdurus brooke egidia and lady euphemia go out dowager introducing imogen lady macphail sir colin my niece imogen imogen take sir colin to tea this way sir colin dowager to lady twombley you see my motive imogen waiting for macphail tea is in this room sir colin macphail looking at imogen and then appealingly at lady macphail come mother imogen macphail and lady macphail go out dowager to lady twombley following the others he is impressed sir julian in evening dress enters with a letter in his hand catherine 
Catherine! Pa? I must speak to you. But Dora has just brought a Highland youth here. I can't help it. What's wrong, Pa? How pale and waxy you look. Sir Julian Twombley handing her the letter. An urgent letter from old Mr. Mason, my solicitor, about my affairs. Oh, Lord, Pa! Another? You have it upside down. Everything connected with our affairs will get that way. Mason is imperative. He insists upon your considering your pecuniary position. What shall I do? Accede to his request. Consider it. But I am constantly considering it. Hush, Pa. No man's pecuniary position is ever demanded or received more consideration than my own. Day and night my pecuniary position lashes my brain into the consistency of a whipped egg. Pa, be calm. Kate, my pecuniary position interposes between me and grave public questions. My very spectacles are toned by it. It is in every blue book, in every page of Hansard, in the preamble of every bill. Oh, dear Pa. It sits with me in committees, accompanies me into the lobbies. It receives deputations, replies to questions in the House. It forms part of the deliberations of the Cabinet. It warps my political sympathies. It distorts my judgment. It obscures my eloquence. And it lames my logic. Taking the letter from Lady Twombley. And Mason asks me to consider it. Leans his head on his hands. She sits on the arm of his chair. Julian, you mustn't give way. Suppose the members of the opposition saw you like this. Oh. Think of those persons who sit, where is it, on the hatchway, or below the gangway, or some uncomfortable place. How rejoiced they'd be shaking him gently have courage julian perk up pa dear i cannot go on kitty oh don't say that mason's letter decides me to do what yield to a sentiment which i have reason to believe exists on both sides of the house resign resign my place in the ministry ask for the chiltern hundreds oh wind up my affairs in town oh no and seek peace in rural retirement you shan't pa oh my gracious you wouldn't be so heartless heartless lady twombley kneeling beside him think of my blessed chicks my babies don't go under julian till we've given them the benefit of our magnificent position our mag wait till my brookie our brookie has won some handsome wealthy girl who is worthy of him hold on till imogen has made a marriage that will make every true mother's mouth water then i'll settle down with you alone in a marsh but don't sink into obscurity till the end of the year i can do wonders by christmas give me till then pa give me till then she throws her arms round his neck. Imogen's harp is heard again. Mrs. Gayluster enters. The wretches! How they ignore me! Seeing Sir Julian and Lady Twombley. Ah, 
hiding herself behind a pillar she listens but but if i desperately cling to public life a little longer i must have money of course of course you must have money but julian you must look to me for that you catherine you must think only of your value to the country and leave the rest to your wife kitty you have made some little private hoard out of your allowance lady twombley sinking faintly onto the settee well pa how prudent how thoughtful go go to dora make my excuses i'll follow you when i've pulled myself together yes yes turning by the way kitty hopwoods have just sent in their bill for erecting this conservatory lady twombley clinging to the back of the chair oh you remember i transferred at your request seven thousand some odd pounds to your account at scott's when we projected the mm, pardonable little extravagance e yes hopwoods can wait till midsummer perhaps you wouldn't mind letting me have the use of the money in the meantime no certainly not a check any day this week <laughs> all days are equally convenient kitty i will hold on till christmas thank you pa i she turns to him suddenly oh pa i haven't got i haven't i haven't what kitty <laughs> nothing go go to dora he goes out oh where shall i turn for money where shall i turn where shall i turn for money mrs gayluster advances and faces lady twombley oh mrs gayluster oh lady twombley i am in such distress distress mrs gayluster producing lady twombley's letter to brooke <coughs> i picked up a letter in the next room i thought it was the note you wrote me about the plum-coloured peignoir and that it had fallen from my pocket i glanced at it oh look she hands the letter to lady twombley gracious but that is not the worst it tells me that you are in trouble you the best friend i have in the world my benefactress oh what shall i do hold your tongue about it ah why did i read it through because you were a little curious i'm afraid i shan't sleep for it thank you i can do all my own lying awake mind your own concerns for the future gay luster it is my concern when i can help you you help me ah yes oh let me lady twombley i don't ask to be confided in i only ask to be allowed to bring my brother to see you to-night to-morrow your brother mr lebanon my joseph i would trust him as i'd trust myself 
i have known him do such things in the way of raising money upon what he calls personal and other security a money-lender lady Tromley. oh does mr lebanon help people in difficulties oh doesn't he oh will you see him lady Twombley? don't ask me perhaps to-night perhaps i tell you at what time half past nine sharp mrs gayluster to herself done sir julian enters with lady macphail macphail and the dowager brooke follows with drumdurst then after an interval lady euphemia agidia and imogen appear sir julian twombley to lady twombley reproachfully my dear lady macphail and sir colin are going dowager to lady twombley you are neglecting them what can be your motive lady twombley to lady macphail i hope sir julian has explained certainly but i must take my boy away he dines at six to avoid late hours imogen talks to macphail dowager to lady twombley look they are talking cullen rises at five every morning dear me how awful he loves to watch the sunrise from the jagged summit of ben nafechen <laughs> but there is no ben uh, what you may call it here no but he sits upon the roof of our lodgings in clarges street good-bye lady twombley they shake hands lady twombley to macphail good-bye you must come and see me on one of my tuesdays i with my mother he turns to imogen they shake hands good-bye sir colin dowager to lady twombley there again look why here's valentine 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 brooke brings on valentine valentine white to brooke let me go i was trying to find my way out brooke twombley to lady twombley here's valentine come back valentine imogen oh my dear val my dear old val she rushes to him impulsively and flings her arms round his neck at which the dowager gives a cry of horror and there is a general movement of astonishment end of the first act